The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Listen, I'm excited for this morning. I'm excited to be here. I'm also excited just to be coming into Romans 8. Um, I know that for so many, Romans 8 is kind of like the pinnacle of Scripture in some ways. And I don't say that lightly. Uh, for, for many of us, Romans 8 is that Scripture that has meant more to us than maybe any other. Uh, Romans 8 might be one of those Scriptures where you have clung to it tighter than any other Scripture. And so I'm really, I'm really excited that we get to sit down in Romans 8 over the next several weeks. Um, this morning, we're going to look at the first part. Uh, we're going to do our best to get through the first eight verses uh, this morning. And as we do this, we're going to see some really powerful and, and, and applicable truths. And, and specifically, here's what I want to do this morning. I just want to give away where I'm going. Um, this morning, we are going to look at three of the most predominant lies that the enemy has for you. And we're going to look at three of the truths that combat those lies. So three of the major lies, and I mean the big ones, we're going to look at them this morning. Uh, The scripture says that we have an adversary that he seeks to steal and to kill and to destroy. We are going to look at three of the ways that your enemy seeks to do that. And then we're going to look at the truth, because here's the, here's the reality. The, the greatest tool that we have to combat the lies is the truth of God in his word. It, when we know the truth, the truth sets us free from the power of the lie. That's my prayer this morning. So we look at this text. That, that, is, my, that is my prayer. So the, the way I'd like to start it, I'd like to read this text. And um, listen, I don't know what your morning is look like or your week for that matter. I, I don't know. Whatever it has looked like, no matter how crazy it has been, maybe you've had a good one, you too. Um, I want us all, as I read this, to just kind of take a deep breath and reflect and listen. Be fully present as we read this text together. Romans 8, 1 through 8. There is therefore Now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for our sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. For those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. 
For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. God, we are here again. Standing, sitting in, in front of your word. And, and we thank you for your word. I, we thank you for the truth that never changes. In our world where it feels like things are changing rapidly, we cling to the truth that is eternal, that does not change. I ask one thing this morning, God, that you would conform us to Jesus more and more through your word, through your spirit. Take those things, those thoughts, those beliefs that are in us, that are out of alignment with the truth, and would you reveal them, change them, and align them so that we are all conformed more to Jesus today. And God, we give you glory for that, and we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's get to work. I don't want to waste any time because this this chapter doesn't waste any time. If you wanted to know one of the most profound statements you could ever hear, ever wrap your mind around, it is this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. <laughs> that, I mean, as if that's not powerful enough on its own, can we just consider for a moment what Paul has talked about to get us to this statement? We've, we've seen in Romans, Paul has made this clear argument that our God is perfect, holy, and just. And that his perfect and holy, just response to sin is wrath. Right? It is wrath because he is perfect and he is perfectly just and perfectly good. And we talked about the fact that we don't want a God who just kind of turns, turns away from sin or sweeps sin under the rug. We don't want that. He would not be good. He would not be perfect. He would not be holy. And that's not the God that Scripture tells us about. No, sin must be dealt with. And and our God does not ignore it. His right, his just, his good response to sin is his wrath. And so Paul is clear here in Romans that regardless of who you are, your ethnicity, in this case specifically, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, regardless of your race, regardless of what language you speak, regardless of how much money you make, regardless of your gender, your age, or anything else about you, regardless of all of that, whoever you are, we are all sinners who are fully without excuse. Not one excuse works before our holy God. There is no one who has been righteous, no one who is righteous, and no one who will ever be righteous outside of Jesus. Paul says, for we have all sinned, we fall short of the glory of God. And that means, church, that we are all rightly and justly condemned. Every single one of us. So coming off of that, can we just take in Romans 8.1 one more time? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So We've said this a couple times through Romans, but the question of Romans, it is not, it has never been, will will God pour out his wrath on sin? That's not the question of Romans. The question of Romans is this, who is going to face the wrath of God for your sin? Will it be you or will it be Jesus? 
That is the question of Romans. And for you who trust in Christ, who believe in Jesus for your salvation, Scripture says, Scripture uses this term, in Christ. Scripture says, for you who have placed your faith in Jesus, you are in Christ by grace through faith. That means that in Christ, Jesus bore the wrath of God for your sin. He took the condemnation. Let's be specific. Took your condemnation. He took the condemnation for your sin. And I want you to hear me. Not some of it. Not a portion of it. Not even a majority of it. All of it. Jesus took all of it. And because of that, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And listen to how Paul unpacks this. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for our sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. So listen to this. God did what we could not do, what you could not do. He did it. He did it through Jesus, sending his son in the flesh. He did it, taking on flesh, dwelling among us. And why did he do it? One more verse before we unpack this a little bit. Verse four, Paul tells us why. He says, in order that, or because of, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but to the spirit. So let's pause here. In other words, church, Our God is holy, just, perfect, and righteous. You are not. You are a sinner. And here's what happened. God did not bend his standards to accommodate you. God did not become less holy to accommodate your lack of holiness. He did not become less righteous, less just, to accommodate your lack of righteousness and justice. He didn't do that. Scripture says, no, he sent his son Jesus instead. In other words, he didn't bring his standard down. He brought his son down. That is a huge understanding. He did not bring his standards down. He brought his son down so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us through Jesus. He did what we could not do so we can walk with him walking in him with the spirit of God indwelling us, walking in the spirit. We're coming back to this. I don't want to get carried away here because I'm coming back to it. Paul's about to talk about in the spirit. Um, So we're coming back to that. But before we do, I want us to deal with the first lie. The first lie of the enemy in this text is a big one. The enemy would want nothing more than for you, Christian, You who have placed your faith in Jesus, you who are a follower of Jesus, who have responded to the gospel, who have been saved by grace through faith, listen, the enemy would want nothing more than for you to believe the lie that you are still under condemnation in Christ. That you're still under sin and the penalty of your sin. That Christ didn't quite bear all of the condemnation and that somehow you still have to carry some of it. 
The enemy would want nothing more than to cripple the children of God with all kinds of shame and guilt, with, with thinking that we are still in our flesh, thinking that we still wear the weight of our sin. Again, it's, it's not will God's wrath be poured out on sin. The question of Romans is will, who will bear that wrath? Will it be me? Will it be Jesus? Will the enemy, the first lie of the enemy is to get you to believe that it is still yours to bear. And many of us, although we believe, we know the gospel, many of us struggle with this one. We've believed this one in part. So we work. And we beat ourselves up. We're never quite good enough. And, and this lie is painful. This lie hurts. One of the things I think this lie does the most is it destroys the family of God, the church. Because guess what? If you believe that lie, this is a painful place. This is the place that we come and, oh, we got to pretend. We got we to gotta make sure that we got, we look like we want to be here. We look like we're happy all the time. We look like we're rocking life. That we have it all together and we have to look like we're not beating ourselves up. This lie destroys community. And it is a lie. It is a full-blown destructive lie. And I want to point us to the truth. Here's the truth. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ? Have you placed your faith in Jesus? If your answer is yes, hear me. There is now no condemnation for you in Jesus Christ period. None. Not, not a little bit, not a portion. There is no condemnation. Life in Christ is all about the grace of our God that he poured out on us in Jesus. And the enemy wants nothing more than for you to try to take a little bit of that condemnation off of the shoulders of Jesus and put it on yourself. That it's yours to carry I believe, before we go further, further, that this is a good time for us to kind of take an inventory of ourselves, of where have we believed this lie? Where am I trying to bear the weight of condemnation that's no longer mine? And one more clarification. I, I, I want to say one more thing before we move. Condemnation is different than conviction. Very different. Um. Conviction is, is beautiful. It is a gift of God. Conviction is when the Holy Spirit does a work in us where, where he will bring to our minds and our hearts the sin of our lives so that we can confess and experience the forgiveness and grace of our God. So conviction is beautiful because it draws us in toward our God. Conviction, oh, is a gift. But that is different than condemnation. Condemnation is 
the judicial punishment for wrongdoing. It's, it's the punishment, the penalty of a guilty per- person. So whereas conviction draws us to and toward our God, Condemnation is what was experienced in the garden after the fall in Genesis 3, where the man and the woman were sent out from the presence of God. It's not a toward, it's a, it's a from. It's a, it's a from. And why? Because that was the penalty and the consequences for their sin. There's a difference between these two. Again, God is holy. His righteous response to sin is wrath and condemnation is that wrath. It, 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 that's the wrath. And so I want to be very clear here. Christ took the punishment and the penalty for your sin, all of it, and there's none left over for you to grab. In Christ, we are forgiven, and the condemnation was taken by Jesus so that we bear it no more, so that the truth of Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation, rings true. The enemy wants you to believe that it's still yours, and the gospel tells us it's no longer yours to carry in Jesus. Let's take an inventory here. Where have we believed this lie? That's the first lie. It's not the only one, though. Uh, Let's look at another truth here that comes out of this text. Verse 5. Let me read this again. As I do, I want you to notice the, the parallels between these that come out in this text. So, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on things of the flesh, But for those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. You see the parallels? I mean, it is exact parallel here in this this text. So, live to the flesh, mind on the flesh. Live to the Spirit, mind on the Spirit. Mind on the flesh leads to death. Mind on the Spirit leads to life and peace. It's really easy here. So so what does this mean? Paul is painting the picture of two paths. Two paths. The first one he calls the flesh. This is our carnal nature, sinful nature, giving in to all of the desires that, that and leadings of that nature. And the other one is called the spirit. And this is the Holy Spirit of God, our redeemed nature, that new creation nature that we are given in Jesus. And on this path in the Spirit, we're, we're led to, by the way, all those in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit. In Ephesians and in Corinthians and all over the New Testament, the gifts of the Spirit. That's where those are found, right? So we have the way of the flesh and the way of the Spirit. And on this side, on the flesh side, Paul says that we set our minds on things of the flesh that we follow the desires of this. And then on this side, on the spirit side, we set our minds on things of the spirit. On this side, on the flesh side, this leads to death. On this side, on the spirit side, it leads to life and peace. So both of these paths, Paul gives us the action, thoughts, and destination. He gives us the action and the thoughts and the, the destination. So over here in the flesh, we have, we live according to the flesh. That's our actions. We set our minds, our perspective on the flesh. That's our thoughts. And it leads to death. That's the destination. Over here in contrast, we have the way of the spirit. 
where we live according to the Spirit, that's our actions. We set our minds to the things of the Spirit, that's our thoughts, our perspective, and it leads to life and peace. That's the outcome. You see the parallel. It, hopefully it's, it's clear here because this leads us to the second lie. And it is still just as big. The first lie was that we're still under condemnation in Christ when the truth is, is that there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. The second lie is this. You are still the same carnal person you once were in Christ. You are still the same person, that same carnal person in Christ. Nothing has changed. Follow with me here. Nothing has changed. The only difference is, is that now you don't go to hell when you die. Praise Jesus. Until then, though, yeah, nothing's really changed. Second lie is that God doesn't have something better for you than that. That he doesn't, somehow that God just doesn't care the way you lived and he saved you not for now but for later. He'll get to you later. When you die, that's when the whole Jesus stuff starts to happen. Until then, do you think? You're still the same person. God saved you for eternity, not life abundantly. Church, this lie has crippled so many. Absolutely crippled so many. It has brought so much damage to the church. This lie, it's done so much damage. Here's what it's done. It's led us to preach and to believe what I will call a secular gospel. When I say secular, what I mean by that is not spiritual. Not spiritual at all. Not miraculous, not supernatural, just a carnal. Here's what I mean. What do you think of when you think of conversion? I think for too many we think of two things. We think of, number one, an intellectual assent to a few core truths. Believe the right thing. And then number two, now you have some new morals that you need to live up to until you die. So believe a few of these really key truths and then live with some new morals. Until we die. What is missing from that understanding of conversion, church? What is missing from that? I propose to you that the Holy Spirit is missing from that. In a huge way. The supernatural is missing from this. If it is only an intellectual assent to a few truths and then morals and ethics that now you try to live by, if that was it, We are missing the key elements of God's word that he has set before us that says we are regenerated, new creations, the fact that the old is no more, that the new is here. We're missing the supernatural power and role of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our salvation. We're missing him completely. And we are believing a secular gospel. Here's the reason I bring this up. If the enemy can get you to believe that your salvation is just your intellectual assent and then your best attempt to live better until you die, if he can get you to believe that, the enemy has tricked you into not seeing who you are, your identity. He's blinded you. He's n- you are not just saved for later. 
The word of God says that you are a new creation and that you are invited into a real relationship with God. United with Christ, you are really changed by the Holy Spirit who now works in you. You now walk in him. In other words, church, you are not the same carnal person you were before Jesus. That's not what scripture says about you. And if you think you are, you're believing a lie. That's not the identity of a child of God. In Christ, you are not the same carnal person who just now believes in Jesus. You are a new creation. Here's the truth. In Christ, you are fundamentally, foundationally a new creation. Praise God for this truth. The enemy wants to get you to believe that nothing's changed so that he can cripple you. When scripture says everything has changed. You are, you are not the same carnal person that you once were. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the flesh. And for the mind set on the flesh that leads to death. That's not who you are. In Christ we live according to the spirit. We set our minds on the things of the spirit and to set our mind on things of the spirit is life and peace. These are two different paths here and the enemy will target your mind and to get you thinking about the flesh and thinking about the world. He would want nothing more than for you to believe that there's no real difference between the two. That you can just continue to live in your flesh that the spirit would rob you of the joy of walking in the spirit that you have been called to set your mind on the things of the spirit and in that be led to life and peace the Holy Spirit indwelling us to walk in him to set our minds on him this is the pathway to peace you are not the same as you once were you are not just saved from hell later but abundant life today. Um, there's a, an old pastor um, from the 19th century. His name is uh, J.C. Ryle. He was the Bishop of Liverpool. Not that you care particularly, but just to give you some context, uh, with a really great beard. Just, <laughs> the theologian beard that he had. Um, he wrote many books. One of my favorite books that I've ever read from him is a book called Holiness. It's a Christian classic. And uh, I'm going to butcher this because I'm not quoting him directly, but I'm just telling you what he said and what changed in me after reading this book. Um, <laughs> he says, if you don't have the desire for God today, like nothing, if nothing of God's things makes any difference to you, you have no desire for him or for heaven or for scripture or for the family of God, if, you have, if that's just not you, you don't care, you don't, if that's you, if you're setting your minds on things of the world and you're content to do that, he, he brings up, what makes you think that that will change in the life to come? What makes you think that you will all of a sudden, when you die, change all that? 
If you're a child of the enemy today, what makes you think that at death your heart will all of a sudden crave God? Scripture says that when we're saved, that's when that work begins. Not when we die, but when we're saved, that's when that work begins. Right now, you and I, we are being prepared for heaven. Our affections are being prepared. We're being transformed, and that transformation is not, according to Scripture, at your death. According to Scripture, that happens at regeneration and conversion. That's when that starts to happen, when we begin to be molded and transformed and prepared for heaven. Ryle was very clear, don't wait till then to start turning your mind to things of the Spirit. Don't wait till then. Lie number one, you're still under condemnation in in Christ when the truth is, is that there is therefore now no condemnation. Lie number two, you're still the same carnal person you once were in Christ when the truth is that you're a new creation. New mind, new life in the spirit, new destination in the spirit. These lies are deadly and there is one more I want to call out today. One more. Paul continues, verse seven and eight. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it, does not, it doesn't submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh, take this in, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Line number one, you're still under condemnation when the truth is you are not. Line number two, you're the same carnal person when the truth is you are new. You are not the same. And number three, the last lie that we have here is that you are able to please God apart from Jesus. That you are able to please God apart from Jesus. The enemy would want nothing more than for you to start to believe that you can be good enough, that you can be, make good enough decisions, that God will somehow look down on your goodness and say, ah, oh, you know what, I'm a bit pleased. God would want nothing more than for that to happen. And I believe that this lie, this viewpoint, is the most popular one out of all three lies. Um, I use this analogy at the start of our time in Romans, but I can't help remember remembering a course that I took a long time ago in Bible college with a uh, professor. He was, it was about evangelism. Professor Johnston, oh, he was... Loads of fun. Um, I remember this class, though. He, his favorite way of sharing the gospel was to ask this simple question. Um, if you were to die today and you were standing before Jesus in heaven and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? And uh, you know what the most popular answer is by far? Because he, he had us practice this. And uh, you know what the most popular answer is? I mean, like nine out of 10, it would be something like this. I'm a good person. I, uh, I love my wife. I'm a good husband. I've been faithful. I'm a good dad. I, um, I'm a good husband, good wife, good father, good mother, that kind of thing. You know what's at the heart of those responses, as good as they might sound? That's at the heart of those 
responses. At the heart of these responses is this incredibly destructive lie that we can please God in our flesh, that we can do something to please our God in our own flesh. Church, God is not looking down for people who are good. He doesn't find any of those. He's not looking down for people who are a little bit better than the ones around them. God is not looking to save people who think they can save themselves. He's not looking for that. He's looking for a people who would trust in him and him alone, in Christ alone, who will know the fullness of God's grace and who will humble ourselves before him in worship and know that we cannot please him apart from Jesus. Paul says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Cannot. So think about this along with, you don't need to turn with me here, but in, in Hebrews eleven six, the writer of Hebrews says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. <laughs> impossible. For whoever would draw near to God must believe he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. What does this say in church? The lie is that you can please God apart from Jesus, but the truth is, is that it is impossible to please your God in the flesh, outside of Christ. The truth is that faith, not flesh, faith pleases our God. It's the only way to please our God. The lie is deadly and it leads us to spin our wheels to try to justify ourselves over and over again. And I want you to hear me. No amount of religious activity or religious motions will please our God. Outside of Jesus, no amount. The lie behind all of this, this is the lie that is behind all empty and false religions, church. We can please God without or on our own, in our, in our flesh. You cannot. You cannot. Um, listen, I, I, um, I want to finish our, our time in this text, as weird as this sounds, by looking at our God in this text, and you're like, well, what have we been doing this whole time? Bang with me, all right? Um, by looking at our God in this text, um, in this text, the reason I wanted to take the first eight verses together I was really tempted to go slower than this. The reason I wanted to take them all um, is because I believe this puts our God on display in a really uniquely beautiful way. Um, In this, we see the full Trinity, Father, Spirit, and Son. We see our God in this scripture. And, And the reason I'm saying this is because, hear me, each one of the lies of the enemy that I have brought out this morning each one of them seeks to have you miss or overlook who your God is. Each one of these causes, it blurs your vision of who our God is. What the enemy wants to do the most is to take away glory from God. That's primary objective. And, and if he can get you to not understand, not see who your God is, he will have accomplished that. And at the heart of these lies is that. And here's what I want to do. I want to look at the truths that we've seen. The first was that there was, there's now no condemnation 
for us in, in Jesus. You know what this truth causes us to do? It causes us to look to our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It causes us to behold him. Because in him, there's no condemnation. We remember to, that he took on himself. He took on himself the condemnation that should have been mine. This truth causes me to understand that he, what he did on the cross and that in him we have no condemnation because Jesus took the condemnation. And so this, this truth, the first truth we looked at, that there's no condemnation, that causes us, it causes me to look to Jesus. The second truth is that in Christ we live in the Spirit. That we walk in the Spirit. We have a mind of the Spirit. This causes us, this truth, church, causes us to look to the Holy Spirit who is alive and active and, dare I say, real. Indwelling in us. So we walk in Him. We set our mind on Him. And so this truth causes us to look to the Spirit. The last truth, if you are tracking with me, is that our God is pleased in us in Christ. This truth causes us to look to the Father. This truth causes us to look to the Father because he is pleased in us, loves us, and rejoices in us. In Christ, as we set our mind on the Spirit, and we place our faith in Jesus. The Father is pleased in the Son. And this text causes us to look to the Father. At the heart of it, at the heart of it, the heart of the enemy's lies is to get us to misunderstand and to not see the true beauty of who our God is. And the truth of this text points us to who our God is. Triune, Father, Son, Spirit. And it just brings down all of these lies. Paul gives us the truth. There's now no condemnation for you in Jesus. You are no longer your old carnal self in Jesus. And you cannot bring pleasure to your God apart from Jesus. And the call this morning is to engage the lies of the enemy with the truth of who our God is. The truth of scripture. And the invitation this morning for all of us is the gospel call to come to Jesus. To be united with Christ walk with him and to find our joy in him because in him I want to start or end where we started. There is therefore now no condemnation. None for us in Christ Jesus. God, we we come to you and we take a deep breath as we consider the truth of this text. We see, if we're honest, remnants of these lies in our own hearts. And I just pray that in this moment and as we reflect, that your spirit would, would do a work in us in, in, in exposing where we are believing a version of one of these lies. And I pray that right now that we are able to apply the truth that would destroy and dispel the power of those lies in our hearts. I pray that in this moment that you would help us see and understand a bit more about who you are, what you have done, 
And because of who you are and what you have done, I pray that it would help us to understand now who we are in you. We are not our own. We have been bought with a price. And so, Lord, I I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray that in this moment that you would help us all to understand the grace and the mercy that it was demonstrated through the sending of Jesus while we were still dead in our sins. And as we respond, I pray that you would continue to do that work in our hearts. And we give you glory for that. In Jesus' name, amen.